Happy Monday, everybody. It is Monday, January 9th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Uh, Jill, it's been a pretty jam-packed news weekend. It really has. So let's get straight to the headlines here. We're watching the latest from Brazil as a former president's supporters stormed the country's Congress and presidential palace on Sunday. President Biden visits the U.S.-Mexico border for the first time in two years as the White House rolls out a new immigration plan. Well, it turns out the 15th time was the charm. Kevin McCarthy is officially Speaker of the House. What now? It took just six days for 2023 to have its first school shooting. But this time, incredibly, it was a six-year-old student that pulled the trigger. Another major storm slams Northern California. All the juicy revelations in Prince Harry's new memoir. And Mosh, of course, has our Monday on this day. Jill, we have an iconic moment for you. We'll bring you on this day. It involves a certain duo wearing uh, denim outfits head to toe. (laughs) Okay, let's start in Brazil. Nearly two years to the day, we're monitoring a situation in Brazil that resembles what took place in Washington on January 6th, 2021. Yesterday, supporters of former Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro, who refused to accept his election defeat, stormed the nation's Congress, Supreme Court, and presidential palace in the capital of Brasilia. The uprising comes one week after the inauguration of his leftist rival, President Lula da Silva, after he defeated Bolsonaro in the fall election. Thousands of demonstrators bypassed security barricades, assaulted law enforcement and journalists, climbed on roofs, smashed windows, and invaded all three buildings, which were believed to be largely vacant on Sunday. Congress was not in session, and Lula was out of town. It took law enforcement five hours to clear those protests, but not before they invaded and destroyed parts of the major government buildings. The demonstrators called for a military intervention to either restore the far-right Bolsonaro to power or oust Lula from the presidency. Authorities arrested more than 200 protesters. They're investigating reports of rioters attacking law enforcement, destruction of property, and carrying weapons. In a news conference, Lula said Bolsonaro had encouraged the uprising by those that he termed fascist fanatics, And he read a freshly signed decree for the federal government to take control of security in the federal district. Yeah, those are some really remarkable scenes we saw play out there, almost eerie in terms of familiarity, uh, in terms of what we saw on January 6th. The TV images showing the protesters breaking into the Supreme Court, breaking into the presidential palace, breaking into the Congress building, chanting slogans, smashing windows, smashing furniture. Local media estimate that about 3,000 people were involved, though there are distinctions here. Keep in mind, Lula is already president. The former President Bolsonaro, incidentally, is in Orlando, Florida. Uh, he has left the country. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, so ultimately here, these protests, though, have been going on for a couple months now with claims that uh, the election results uh, were falsified, that they weren't legitimate. And Bolsonaro has done very little to dissuade his supporters from believing this. He has actually barely spoken in public since losing the election. He actually uh, didn't partake in the inauguration of Lula last week, leaving Brazil for Florida uh, at the end of his mandate. I actually posted a video on Instagram, Jill, of uh, Bolsonaro walking the uh, aisles of a Publix in Orlando. So that's where he is right now. There is a feeling that he's trying to avoid potential prosecution in Brazil, or he might have anticipated what was going on. Uh, We should keep in mind that he has been peddling the false claims that Brazil's electronic voting system was prone to fraud. He protested the results that actually went up to the nation's Supreme Court, 
who ruled that there were no uh, that they didn't see any fraudulent results. Uh, Bolsonaro has been advised by some former and current Trump advisors, including Steve Bannon, who was actually cheering on the rioters on social media Sunday. He actually told Bolsonaro that he should never step down. Bolsonaro's son has uh, been visiting Mar-a-Lago. So there's a connection there, so to speak. So authorities believe as of Sunday night, they have control of the Capitol again, but not before the Supreme Court was completely ransacked uh, by the rioters who uh, there's multiple videos of them shattering windows, uh, the protesters taking over Congress uh, on the podiums, on the desks, etc. There's also video, some of the violence here uh, was very uh, difficult to watch, including protesters pulling a policeman off of his horse uh, and then beating him. A reminder, Jill, that Brazil actually had a military dictatorship from 1964 to 1985 for about 21 years. Democracy was restored in the mid-80s, and so people were watching very closely the military in this case as to whether they would come to the side of the demonstrators or stay uh, true to the government. It appears they stood strong here. They stood uh, for the Brazilian democracy so at least this go around, it appears that Lula remains president and the democracy remains intact. And now to the drama here in the United States with our government, Mosh. It is official. Kevin McCarthy is the new House Speaker. It took 15 tries over five days and major concessions to the ultra conservative block of the party. But McCarthy won at last early Saturday morning. The vote was 216 to 212 with six Republican holdouts agreeing to vote present, which allowed him to win with a lower majority threshold. Now, McCarthy partially credited former President Trump for his support in the speaker's race and helping him get across the finish line. And that included Trump calling the remaining holdouts late into the night on Friday. Moshe posted a photo on Instagram of Marjorie Taylor Greene passing around her cell phone with Trump on the line to lobby (laughs) lawmakers. (laughs) It was interesting because it was in her phone as D.T., Right. Which I right, thought right, was yeah. fascinating. <laughs> Everyone wanted to zoom in. Everyone's like, please zoom in. How does she label Trump in her phone? I was like, I got this. I was curious about the same thing. So <laughs> he was labeled DT. Incidentally, one of the photos that became viral, uh, Jill, was Marjorie uh, Green handing her phone to Matt Rosendale, one of the holdouts, and him refusing, being like, don't do me like that. He did not want to talk to Trump. It's so funny, though, because he obviously never thought that we'd have like video of him refusing to talk to former President Trump. It reminds me of when I say something on the nest that I don't want anyone to hear. And my husband's like, I heard you. (laughs) C-SPAN did an incredible job uh, with their cameras this past week of covering all of the various uh, antics happening on the floor of the House. But meanwhile, some members of the party say that this actually shows Trump's waning influence because this was the longest speaker election process in over 150 years, going back to the 1850s. So if he was as powerful as as he was and and had a hold over the party like he did when he was president, it it never would have gotten to this point. Uh, Meanwhile, the frustration really came to a head late Friday night when a physical brawl almost broke out between Republicans on the House floor. Republican House member Mike Rogers from Alabama had to be physically restrained after lunging at Matt Gates, who was still refusing to throw his support behind McCarthy. A different congressman, Richard Hudson of North Carolina, grabbed Rogers from behind uh, around his face and shoulder to pull him away. Uh, Mosh, again on your Instagram page, 
Much ado about a lunge, right? People got very sensitive of how to uh, react to this. So I, I, <laughs> I almost want to leave this on Friday night at this point, Jill. But basically what happens is this. So Mike Rogers uh, actually holds a very powerful post in this new, new Congress. He's the chairman of the Armed Services Committee, which determines the defense budget and all major military things. According to multiple reports, several Republicans reported that Rogers was intoxicated late on Friday night as this was going down. And apparently he thought he heard that McCarthy was going to make some sort of concession to Matt Gates, who also sits on that armed services committee. Rogers then walks on over uh, and starts to get close to Gates using apparently very offensive language. So some of the Republicans are on the ground uh, saying this, you know, he lunged towards him. Fox News called it a lunch. AOC called it a lunch. So it's not typical that AOC and Fox News agree on anything. And I was like, all right, we're going to go with lunch. So I call it a lunch on the Instagram account. Some people are like, no, that was a lean. That was an aggressive lean. Why are you dramatizing this? I'm like, guys, seriously, this is what we're worried about. Like uh, people are almost fighting on the floor of the house. But sure, let's go with a stern lean or attempted lunge or uh but potato potato things were tense it's like how I'm, i feel like i'm watching a, a recap of housewives is that's what i'm oh, listening to a thou- totally and by the way drinking involved people are like people drink on the floor of the house i'm like if you only knew the decisions made in this country over the course of the past 250 years while someone was intoxicated like uh Je- thomas jefferson would drink wine every day john adams would start his day with whiskey so <laughs> george washington would drink all the time ulysses grant andrew jackson anyway i don't want to go too far into american history but we have a lot of presidents nixon lbj in more recent years who drink a lot by the way trump doesn't drink biden doesn't drink so we've had a couple more sober years i don't know if that's helped our politics but that's what i can report so anyhow things got very tense on friday night as mccarthy thought he had it clinched but a few of the holdouts still refused to vote for him Anyway, in the fallout of this, uh, Rogers, presumably sober on Saturday, says the whole thing was a nothing burger. Uh, Jim Jordan, another Republican, uh, part of the leadership who, incidentally, some of the conservatives wanted to be speaker, actually defended it on Fox News on Sunday, saying sometimes democracy is messy. I would argue that's how the founders intended it when he was talking about potential violence on the floor of the House. McCarthy, for his part, on uh, Friday night and Saturday said, this all reminds me of what my father always told me. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. Getting together and finding the ability to how we're going to all work together is going to be important for us. So let's talk about what McCarthy did here in order to get over the finish line. He had to offer a number of concessions to the 20 or so uh, Republicans who had refused to uh, vote for him or even refused to vote present. So here's what we know. The Freedom Caucus, which is the sort of hard right populist caucus, has effectively new veto power over what's going to go down in the House the next two years. They reportedly will be controlling three of the nine seats on the House Rules Committee. This is the panel that decides floor process, what legislation goes to the floor, what amendments will be considered. It's actually kind of boring, but really powerful. Among the other concessions here, any single member can now call for a new speaker's vote. In the last Congress, uh, Pelosi's rules, the Democrats had actually had made it a majority of the caucus. <laughs> a majority of Congress had to vote on this. Uh, the threshold is now going back to one. But by the way, we did see that in a previous era. But that does make governing difficult for Kevin McCarthy. Additionally, he also conceded that his super PAC uh, that donates funds Uh, will not spend money in open Republican primaries. Translation for everybody, that means that this more hard-right caucus can get more of people, more of members who believe like they do, maybe through the primary process, so they can gain more power in Congress, with McCarthy now 
acknowledging and saying he won't spend money for more establishment type candidates. Uh, and then you have legislation. He's apparently agreed on key votes on a whole bunch of conservative bills, including a balanced budget amendment, congressional term limits, border security, uh, efforts to raise the na nation's debt ceiling must be paired with spending cuts. Translation again here, he's going to vote on a bunch of things that were important to this uh, 20 person holdout group. But keep in mind, Democrats control the Senate. Joe Biden is still president. For at least the next two years, a lot of those votes are more symbolic than anything that can really uh, be a law in the end. This is how Politico put it. The concessions the California Republican awarded his critics to secure his position all but ensure that he will operate as speaker in name only. For the first time in decades, rank and file members will have as much power as their leader. Uh, Moshe, I was watching Meet the Press on Sunday. One of their analysts seemed to think he wouldn't make it a year as speaker, like not even close to a year as speaker. Um, and then quickly, in case anyone is wondering, who is Kevin McCarthy besides the new House speaker? A little bit of his background. He's the congressman. He's from Bakersfield, California. He was first elected in 2006. He was the uh, quickly became the chief deputy whip. Then he was the majority whip. And then in 2014, he was elected Republican leader of the House. The big criticism that people have for McCarthy is that he doesn't really stand for much. He's kind of what they call an unreliable conservative. Kind of shifts with the wind. If you've seen the, the musical Hamilton, sort of an Aaron Burr type, like what will you stand for, Aaron Burr? So Kevin McCarthy's kind of go along to get along. He did rise up with a group called the Young Guns. They referred to him, Paul Ryan, and Eric Cantor as the Young Guns in the mid-2000s. This kind of young uh, group of Republicans. Keep in mind, Cantor got voted out. Paul Ryan became speaker, sort of got pushed out by this hardcore conservative group that was creating issues for McCarthy this week. And so the question is, how long will he last in this job? And I often tell people, Jill, when they are debating any job, uh, how you get the job will often give you a pretty good indication of how that job will be in terms of the application process, the people who interview you, the questions they ask. So given the difficulties that he faced here. I like that, Mosh. I like that. Yeah, well, I just feel like, you know, like if the if it's like kind of all over the place, like they don't know how much they're offering you, they can't tell you when your start date is, like it's sort of messy, you're kind of like, okay, this should be my impression of the job going in. In McCarthy's case, he had an open warfare <laughs> and 15 <laughs> votes, and he couldn't lock things up for two months in the fall, which is typically when speakers lock things up. And so uh, he had this like really embarrassing week, right? So what will these next couple of years show? Um, and will the Matt Gates of the world and Lauren Bobars of the world who showed no indication of of being fearful of embarrassing him, will they do that over and over again? And so there are a number of bills coming up. Uh, how will he manage this caucus? Keep in mind, feelings are still pretty raw. Another House member, Nancy May, she's a Republican from South Carolina, called Matt Gates from Florida a quote fraud on a, one of the Sunday shows on Sunday because he was actually fundraising off of what he did this week on Capitol Hill. So there's a lot of finger pointing still going on within the caucus. And keep in mind, by the way, Nancy Pelosi had these issues in the Democratic Congress. She had a five-person majority, but, and she had to deal with the so-called squad, right? AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Elon Omar, some of the progressives. That they typically did this behind closed doors. They didn't openly mock her and deride her in the way that Republicans are currently doing to McCarthy. So that will be interesting to see. And keep in mind, the last two Republican speakers, John Boehner, Paul Ryan, McCarthy was close to both of them. They both basically got driven from Washington by this hardcore uh, far-right caucus. So will McCarthy be able to survive in a way that these guys were not? And that's one of the questions we're going to be watching play out over the next couple of years. 
All right, Jill, we have a lot more news to get to in this podcast. But first, I want to thank a couple of our sponsors this week. I want to start first with our friends at Bull & Branch Betting & Sheets. They have a new deal for Mo News listeners. You may be listening to this podcast early on this Monday morning in bed. I hope you all got a good night's sleep. But let's talk about what can help you ensure you get a good night's sleep. Great sheets. My wife and I actually got our first set of Bull & Branch sheets in the fall, and they're keeping us warm during these winter months, made with the softest 100% organic cotton, no toxins. They actually get softer with every wash. We're actually about to get a second set, and they come in a whole bunch of sizes, 10 different colors. What's great is Bull & Branch right now is extending their special deal for Mo News listeners. You can get 15% off your first set of sheets using the promo code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S, over at bullandbranch.com. That's Bull & Branch, B-O-L-L, A-N-D branch.com. 15% off your first set of sheets. Also free shipping and returns with the promo code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S. Before we get to the speed read, there is another great deal I want to tell Mo News listeners about. This one comes to us from Athletic Greens. Their AG1 all-in-one vitamin is a must as we try to get through this cold and flu season. I've been using the AG1 powder for a couple months now. It's one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. Easy, simple, and affordable, getting that extra boost of energy. Athletic Greens was actually created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues, ended up on a complicated supplement routine to recover. It actually cost them 100 bucks a day. And as they say, necessity is the mother of invention. So the AG1 powder contains 75 important ingredients, tons of vitamins, also has pre and probiotics for your gut health. And here's the best news. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of vitamin D plus five free travel packs. Visit athleticgreens.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription or try it one time for just a month. Again, athleticgreens.com slash monews for this special deal. All right, time now for the speed read. Let's start with the president's weekend trip from the AP. Biden walks stretch of U.S.-Mexico border amid GOP criticism. The president walked a stretch of the U.S.-Mexico border and inspected a busy port of entry Sunday on his first trip to the region after two years in office. Biden also observed as border officers in El Paso demonstrated how they search vehicles for drugs, money, and other contraband. In a sign of the deep tensions over immigration, Republicans' Texas Governor Greg Abbott handed Biden a letter upon his arrival in the state that said the chaos at the border was a direct result of the president's failure to enforce federal laws. Biden later took that letter out of his jacket pocket during his tour, telling reporters, I haven't read it yet asked what he has learned by seeing the border firsthand and speaking with the officers who work along it. Biden said, they need a lot of resources. We're going to get it for them. Yeah, this was a big trip for Biden. I mean, this month now marks two years in office, and this is a huge push, not just among Republicans, but also border state Democrats. They're like, Mr. President, please get down here. We're seeing issues like we haven't seen in a long time. So down in the El Paso area, it's become the biggest corridor for illegal crossings. That's in large part due to Nicaraguans fleeing repression, crime, and poverty in their country. Nicaraguans are actually among the migrants from four countries who are now subject to quick expulsion under new rules enacted by Biden late last week. Uh, That actually drew strong criticism from immigration advocates. But you're seeing a harder line now from Biden as we're seeing more than 2 million border crossings, record numbers that we've never seen before. So on the president's agenda on Sunday also was a visit to El Paso's County Migrant Service Center, uh, where he met with nonprofits and religious groups that are supporting migrants arriving in the U.S. So he's trying to balance stuff out here. 
The one thing Jill people took note of ahead of the president's visit in El Paso is that Border Patrol agents stepped up security and cleared certain areas uh, where migrants have been congregating at bus stops and in parks. It actually was kind of controversial. Some locals felt, including some locals who messaged me, felt that the president would not be getting a realistic sense of the thousands of people in the streets that they've been experiencing and that he's getting sort of a, a cleaned up version of El Paso. Moshe, authorities said it was a total coincidence, if you yes. believe in those things. Correct. Correct. Yeah, they did. They, they coincidentally cleared the parks just before the president was going to be there. Meanwhile, Biden will continue south to Mexico City today. He and the leaders of Mexico and Canada will be gathering for the next two days for a North American Leaders Summit. Immigration is among the items on the agenda. From the New York Times, after six-year-old is accused in school shooting, many questions and a murky legal path. The scene was heartbreakingly familiar. Inside Richneck Elementary School in Virginia, children and teachers hunkered down in fear at a family reunification center nearby. Desperate parents waited for answers. Some were so panicked that they struggled to breathe. Once again, a school shooting had left the community reeling. Only this time, the authorities said the gun had been fired by a six-year-old boy, a first grader, who shot a teacher with a handgun on Friday afternoon. Police said this was not an accidental shooting. The boy and the teacher had been involved in an altercation in a classroom before the boy shot the teacher once. This is according to police. The teacher suffered life-threatening injuries but has improved and is in stable condition. Yeah, unfortunately, add Newport News, Virginia to the list of uh, communities that have experienced school shootings. And we were only six days into the new year uh, before we saw that incident. It's not a surprise to be able to say that school shootings by children as young as six are exceedingly rare, and it leads to a lot of questions. Among them, how did the six-year-old obtain access to a gun? The authorities so far have not publicly identified the child or the teacher, uh, detailed the nature of the altercation, or offered any information about whether the gun was taken from home, school, or elsewhere. The boy was in police custody as of Friday evening, according to authorities, but the unusual nature of the situation leaves the path forward far from clear. I guess it's technically possible the child could be criminally charged, uh, though most legal experts do doubt that. Uh, you can't charge a kid that young because it's hard to say that a six-year-old can have intent. Jill, I was looking back uh, to see if there's any similar case like this. And you have to go back to Michigan in 2000, where in that case, a real tragedy, a six-year-old actually shot and killed another six-year-old in a classroom. The parents in that case faced prosecution. The kid actually spent many years in juvenile detention, getting picked up for other crimes. For what it's worth, Virginia law actually prohibits leaving a loaded gun where it's accessible to any child under the age of 14. So uh, we will await more details here on how exactly this took place, what exactly this child uh, is experiencing at home that led to this. From the LA Times, the latest Northern California storm cuts off power to more than 375,000 people. Destructive winds batter Sacramento. At least two Californians were killed Sunday during a stretch of storms that are expected to further drench the state this week. Wind gusts top 60 miles per hour in some parts of the Sacramento region, according to the National Weather Service, causing a massive loss of power. Forecasters warned of a relentless parade of cyclones barreling out of the Pacific toward California, which was expected to intensify the risk of flooding in parts of the state this week. 
Yeah, Jill, so these are called atmospheric rivers. They come across the Pacific. Uh, some of them have hurricane strength, uh, winds and rain and gusts. California's been experiencing these. They're gonna be several more through January 19th. Heavy rain in low-lying areas, potential mudslides, as well as a lot of mountain snow. The National Weather Service is calling for Californians to follow local forecasts closely, avoid driving across flooded roadways, and have an emergency evacuation kit. They're actually calling on people to put their insurance policies in plastic bags to make sure that they remain secure. The Bay Area, Sacramento, all experiencing uh, several inches of rain. In fact, rain totals that they sometimes don't see for months. So Californians will continue to face this uh, for the next uh, couple weeks. Jill, one of the big questions I got from Californians uh, and people outside California trying to find the positive spin here is, isn't this good for the drought? You know, 2022 was one of the driest years, if not the driest year in recent history in California. And so NPR actually looked into this. And the answer is, well, the rain is good to a certain extent, but most of it cannot be captured for later. So the short answer is there's not much that this does for the drought for now. California lacks the ability to take all the water coming in and set it aside for future use. California does have some big dams and reservoirs that can store large volumes of water, but they tend to be up in the mountains and collecting sort of the mountain snow. Once they're near capacity, water actually has to be released to be ready for the next storm. So a lot of that water then goes out to the ocean. As far as the rain in the low-lying areas, well, most of that is goes on the roads. And so you don't want to be collecting runoff from roads because of the pollution. And California actually lacks the infrastructure to take all the Northern California water and take it to the south where you're seeing the worst groundwater deficits and drought conditions. So long story short, California doesn't have the logistics or infrastructure to really capture all the rain that they're seeing right now. There's only going to be a limited total. And the process by which they need to replenish underwater aquifers, et cetera, is a multi-year process. You know, everything in moderation, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, we'd rather not record droughts and then record floods. That's not sort of how the system works. The, the system sort of calibrates itself somewhere in the middle. And California, unfortunately for them, is it's been just extreme after extreme. Okay, from NBC News, DeMar Hamlin honored at first Buffalo Bills game since his cardiac arrest. Hamlin was honored during Sunday's game between the Bills and the New England Patriots, including with two historic kick returns for touchdowns by Naheem Hines. Players wore his number three on shirts and hats as they arrived at the stadium. They waved flags bearing his name and number during pregame introductions on the field. They held three fingers in the air after touchdowns, big defensive plays, and any other moment in the game that felt meaningful and good. It was powerful to watch on Sunday uh, as the Bills uh, faced the Patriots. Um, and by the way, those two historic kick returns for touchdowns, uh, pretty rare. After that first touchdown, which came just a few seconds into the game, the NFL tweeted, quote, that was for number three. The Bills tweeted uh, that it was meant to be, noting that it had been three years and three months since their last kickoff return for a touchdown. The Bills went on to beat the Patriots 35-23. So a lot of symbolism. Fans in the parking lot uh, nearby were tailgating next to signs that said, Prayers for Damar, love for Damar, we are Damar. Another sign propped up uh, on one of the trucks in the parking lot said, uh, learn CPR because you never know. We've talked about this, that the uh, moments that they did CPR to Damar basically helped him survive and will help his recovery. He posted a couple times on Instagram over the weekend that he does have a long road ahead, but people should keep praying for him. Actually posted a picture of himself in the hospital bed in gear 
uh, with friends and family cheering on the team. Just a remarkable sight, just, you know, less than five days um, since that collapse uh, during Monday Night Football. Uh, one of Hamlin's closest friends on the team, that's uh, Tredavious White, recounted with disbelief, actually, that Hamlin texted him Saturday night, apologizing for putting the team through such an ordeal. Hamlin's apologizing the team, which is just, is crazy, but he's also in a place where he's texting his teammates, uh, you know, a, again, after his near-death experience. It's absolutely incredible, his recovery. Um, and and as you mentioned, I just think it's worth repeating about learning CPR. Um, so I recently took a course with a couple of friends of mine because I, I have a new baby and I just wanted a refresher. I took a, a different course. I got certified back when uh, before my daughter was born, but I forgot everything because if you don't use it, you're kind mm. of like, you don't remember anything. And this time around, I videotaped while the instructor was demonstrating how to do it because I thought, okay, this way, at least I can watch like every few months if I just need a refresher. Um, and I was thinking maybe I'll post a couple of them to my Instagram page. Just it's a good 30-second, one-minute crash course if you just kind of want to get the basics of, of CPR. So I'll post it, I think, as a story. I'll probably do it. So you could follow me, Jill R. Wagner, um, on Instagram, and I'll I'll post some of those CPR videos for you. We'll make sure to repost you from the Mo News account as well, Jill. Um, on Friday, I was getting messages from people as we as people talked about how CPR saved Hamlin's life. Uh, it, you know, again, it's a matter of seconds and minutes. You don't want to wait for first responders to show up. Uh, because it might be too late or it might cause major damage to the brain, et cetera. Uh, that then led all these stories being sent to me from people who uh, were able to save lives, but and also people who watched with um, you know unfortunate memories of scenes where somebody was having a heart attack or somebody was drowning and no one knew CPR. And, you know, and the feeling that something more could have been done. Uh, one scene that many people at this actually used in CPR classes, Jill, is the scene from The Office which I posted on Friday of uh, Steve Carell and the, and the characters in the office um, learning CPR. And I guess they teach us in a lot of CPR classes and it's a humorous way to remember it. But one thing they made note of, and there are Spotify playlists and Apple playlists uh, of songs that are good to do CPR to at hundred beats per minute, which includes incidentally the song staying alive by the Bee Gees. So if you know the song staying alive, you can actually do CPR to that beat which is uh, one thing they do in that office scene. And uh, people, you know, tend to remember that. Moshe, it's really funny that you say that because the instructor that we had, that was basically what she was saying too. And while I was practicing on the dummy, I was doing it in my head. And it's really helpful because you're like, ah, 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 ah. You know, you go to the beat and it's, I don't know. It's definitely something that helps. It, whatever works, right? Whatever works. And uh, again, there's a whole playlist. So if uh, disco isn't your thing, there are other <laughs> song options for you to do CPR too. And from The Week magazine, what is in Prince Harry's new book, Spare? Prince Harry's memoir, Spare, set to be released this week, but a number of media outlets have managed to obtain copies ahead of time. Here are some of like like basically every media outlet in the world, Joe. Exactly. Yeah. Well, here are some of the biggest revelations and allegations from the book thus far. Okay. Uh, neither King Charles nor Prince William made the book's dedication page, which is not that surprising. I mean, there's so much bad blood. Burn, burn, <laughs> double burn. <laughs> okay. Harry and William allegedly got into a physical altercation after William allegedly called Meghan Markle difficult, rude, and abrasive. Notably, notably, Jill, uh, William pushed Harry so forcefully that Harry fell on a dog bowl, as, as he notes very specifically in the book. And his tushy got wet. His tushy got wet. <laughs> <laughs> ha 
Harry says that um, Camilla, who is the queen consort, changed his bedroom at Clarence House in London into a dressing room once he moved out. Total burn. (laughs) Okay, apparently he urged his father not to marry Camilla, even though he and his brother quote, recognized that their father was finally going to be with the woman that he loved, the woman that he'd always loved. Harry says that he was dubbed the spare by Charles the day that he was born. Okay, about that uh, notorious Nazi costume that he wore to a themed Halloween party back in 2005. He says he was debating between the Nazi costume and a different costume of a pilot. And it was William and Kate that told him to wear the Nazi costume So uh, Harry said that he has had a lot of resentment for that because he was the one, of course, who took all of the heat. Well, Harry, you did dress as a Nazi. Um, And Mosh, then there's the really personal stuff. So there's a lot. (laughs) So there's a lot here, Jill. But please chime in with your thoughts. Um, So there's personal and then there's personal. Um, So apparently Charles allegedly made jokes about Harry's, quote, real dad. This is in reference to the long rumor that Major James Hewitt who was Diana's former lover. Uh, remember when uh, Charles was having his affair with Camilla, uh, Diana was uh, having her own relationships. And there's been pictures out there that James Hewitt bears a resemblance to Harry. So there's always been rumors that Harry might not actually be Charles's child. So apparently Charles made jokes about that. Harry says actually Charles didn't hug him when he broke the news to a young Harry of Diana's death. By Harry's account, Charles was not great at showing emotions under normal circumstances. So clearly he wasn't able to show uh, emotion during a time of crisis. A couple other details here. While a soldier in Afghanistan, Harry says he killed 25 Taliban soldiers. That has led to reaction and criticism among UK national security establishment being like, Harry, what are you talking about? Why are you talking in detail about this? The Taliban, clearly not happy about this. Uh, concern now for Harry's security now that he's admitted this. <laughs> the Taliban's weighing yes. in. <laughs> so, so, so you literally, like, th- Harry's book is impacting all sectors. Okay, I got some more stuff, and this is the stuff people are really talking about. Harry admits trying cocaine a number of times as a teenager, but saying he didn't like it. Then he did shrooms several times. At one point, he describes a conversation he had with a toilet while he was on shrooms, believing the toilet and the um, garbage can next to the toilet were talking to him. This is in the book. He also did have uh, mushroom chocolates at Courtney Cox's house. The, the Courtney Cox from Friends. Yeah, he says that he uh, he had mushroom chocolates at her house. I think he did shroom several times at the, the time he was with Courtney Cox. Uh, he washed them down with tequila. So that combination probably uh, didn't help with these various <laughs> various things he was dealing with. And then there's this, everybody. Harry tells us a few very personal things about how he first lost his virginity to an older woman, an anonymous older woman, in a grassy field behind a busy pub at the age of 17. And he's detailed about this. The woman, who he said liked horses, Treated the pr- are you going to do it? <laughs> you okay. are. You're going to read it. Okay, hold on, hold on. All right, for those of you with children, you might want to fast forward through this, but this is what <laughs> Harry says was his first experience with this woman. The woman, he said, liked horses and treated him like, quote, a young stallion. He says, likening the encounter to a quick ride. <laughs> I have such embarrassment. I, I can't even listen to you talking about this, let alone for the life of me figure out why he decided to write about this. 
It's interesting that he went there, right? He got a $20 million <laughs> reported advance for this book, but I don't know that the publisher Random House was like, we need you to recount in detail <laughs> your v- losing your virginity and please make multiple metaphors to being an equestrian. Anyway, by the way, Jill, apparently this is a thing out there. There were rumors that William, uh, that Diana didn't want uh, William and Harry circumcised. He admits in the book, he is circumcised. Um, And one of the more ridiculous pieces of information that he lays on us here, Harry revealed that he got frostbite on his penis during a trip to the North Pole back in 2011. And that apparently made for a miserable time at the wedding of Prince William and Kate Middleton. Of course, the Internet has been having a field day with all of this. But what's really interesting too, Mosh, is usually the media, particularly in the United States, is pretty sympathetic to Harry and Meghan. The consensus here seems to be that perhaps this is a little too much TMI. (laughs) Well, you know what's interesting, Jill? I think it's like a 400 or so page book. These are obviously the most interesting parts that the media has pulled out in advance. So we don't have this all in context or whatever. But I think people are kind of like, all right, between the interviews, the 60 minutes, the Netflix special, and now the book, the feeling is like, all right, you guys moved away from the palace for privacy, so to speak. But like, we're hearing everything, like literally everything about you. So anyway, that's where we stand. And we will keep you up to date on the continuing revelations from Harry's book. All right, Jill, before we go, we have on this day in history, January 9th, uh, let's start in 1963, 60 years ago today, Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa uh, traveled to the U.S. for the first time. Jackie Candy, uh, who was the first lady at the time, was actually there for the premiere. But I didn't realize this till I looked up this day. I didn't realize that the Mona Lisa went on tour a few times. She likes to travel, Moshe. What can you say? <laughs> what can I tell you? <laughs> All right. Now, in this century, I have a couple on this days for you. 16 years ago today, January 9th, 2007, Apple CEO Steve Jobs announced this new phone he had called the iPhone. He would, it would go on sale several months later, and it would change the game for all of us. And 99% of the people who heard it were like, eh, I'm going to stick with my BlackBerry. Yeah, I was one of those people. And by the way, Steve Ballmer, infamously, there's a clip. I actually might put this clip up on Instagram today. In fact, I will. Steve Ballmer basically is asked about the iPhone, and he laughs it off. He's like, what are you talking about? And again, he's running Microsoft at the time. And he's like, what are you talking about? Who's going to want a phone without a keyboard? It just has a pad. This is the silliest thing I've ever seen. Well, he ate those words <laughs> several times as that completely became a game changer. But I, I remember having the same feeling like, well, how can I type without a keyboard? And it, you know, it, it became easier than I thought. And finally, in music history, 22 years ago this week, 2001, Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake arrive at the American Music Awards wearing coordinated head-to-toe denim outfits. Which is worse, Mosh? Like, I just pulled up the picture. I I can't figure out who looks more ridiculous. (laughs) What do they call the Canadian tuxedo, Jill? Yes, (laughs) Yes, but I just, I felt bad saying that (laughs) (laughs) in case anyone from Canada is listening. I mean, I feel like this has been like one of the most well-worn Halloween costumes through the years. I mean, this was a moment. So this was the peak when they had their relationship and then they would uh, end up having uh, a breakup of the following year. But this outfit and this photo has lived on for now the better part of 20 years. You know, they were so innocent back then, Mosh. Even though, uh, how did the lyrics go? She's not that innocent. Or- 
<laughs> As I say that, <laughs> you, you, Brittany you, would beg you, to differ. You really, you really said that up. By the way, if you're following Brittany on Instagram lately, holy, holy, what is going on over there? Anyway, that's subject for another podcast, Jill. I want to thank everyone for listening to uh, the beginning of another week with us, starting your week with us on the Mo News Daily Podcast. Please follow. Uh, and subscribe uh, on whatever app you're listening to us on so you don't miss a single episode. Jill, I have some good news. I sort of complained last week that Pandora didn't let us on. They were the last platform not to have the Mo News podcast. And then, lo and behold, someone in the Mo News community who follows me on Instagram and works at Pandora was like, whoa, we don't have you on? Anyway, good news, everybody. If you're part of the less than 1% of America who listens to your podcast on Pandora, we're now on. Mo News has made it onto Pandora. Why do you have to do a dig at that, Bosch? <laughs> With saying if you're less than 1% of the population. I, 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 because I report the facts, Jill, and I just want you. <laughs> <laughs> what are you, you going to do, Pandora? Kick us off? By the way, if anybody works at Spotify and can help us with some promotions, please hit up either Mosh or myself because uh, I have a lot of ideas, but I don't know how to implement them. You can do that by actually direct messaging me over on Instagram. If you don't follow uh, us over there yet, you can follow me over on Instagram on the Monu's account at Mosha at M-O-S-H-E-H. Okay, bye, everybody. Hope you have a good Monday.